0: It's May. Today on the podcast, we are going to talk about something that I guess we just kind of forgot to talk about. We got this far along and we didn't talk about it, and it's time to. And maybe you've heard of it before. Maybe you know that you have a twinge of it. Maybe you work inside a culture that has some of it. I don't know. Maybe you're really good at dealing with yours. I don't know. We'll find out. Mo and I are talking about perfectionism today and what flavors we have and where it shows up for us, what we are scared of about it, and also where it shows up in organizations and in work that we have seen and witnessed and, you know, just our regular musings. Also, you never never know what kind of funny jokes Mo and I are going to come up with. (laughs) honestly we don't either but thanks so much for hanging out with us and if you like it rate and review for us it's super 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 helpful and we love reading your reviews we love them so keep them coming bye today's workplaces are increasingly toxic it can feel like every semblance of humanity has been squeezed out by outdated rules on Let's Make Work Human, we believe that companies can meet their mission and make a profit without squeezing the life out of people. How do leaders who care create unbreakable workplace cultures brimming with belonging, transparency, joy, flexibility, purpose, care, and results? This show has the answers. Walking the path of true people leadership requires unbreakable connections and real partnerships that debunk and demolish old habits. I'm Mae Rats. I go by May. I'm a millennial with a partner named Sam and a toddler named Crosley. I'm a determined optimist. I believe in the power of community and rest. I'm a cis, Chinese, mixed-race woman. I was grown in the Mountain West. I'm an award-winning artist, a mother, a coach, and a DEIJ facilitator. I co-host the show with my friend, award-winning entrepreneur, best-selling author, baby boomer, culture expert, and beekeeper, Mo Carrick. Together, we're going to take a radical approach to liberating working mothers, abolishing toxic workplace cultures, and so much more. Join us for an irreverent and honest look at what it takes to make every workplace fit for human beings who work there. We're on a mission to restore humanity, to work one magnificent people leader at a time. This show will warm your heart, challenge your thinking, and leave you laughing out loud. Welcome, Mo. Um, well, hi. Uh, we are going to do an episode on perfectionism, and it is starting off so well.
1: It's starting <laughs> off very perfectly imperfect, which is what I would expect from the two of us. So,
0: good job. We have to walk our talk. I literally just said, oh shit, no, stop, right as it turned <laughs> on. So, we're doing great, everybody. Okay. <laughs> Well, okay, so I've been thinking about this question because this is this is my I asked you for this topic, and I think there's just a little she bit of which raised my anxiety. Let me just say, when you said <laughs> I want to talk about
1: perfectionism, I thought, uh oh, is she saying that because she wants me to be more perfect, or or is there some other thing going? But I just interrupted you. Why did you want to talk about this topic?
0: The be- well, the best is that we all think that everything is feedback for us. <laughs> It isn't. I also was like, oh no, she accepted perfectionism. Maybe she's had some feedback for me about how I am imperfect. Anyways, so we're about perfectionism. And I was thinking that perfectionism in terms of what is it? Let's just like let's just look it in the face for a second and then let's talk about our different flavors of it. Because I think both you and I would like to subscribe. Well, I won't speak for you. I would like to subscribe to the magazine that says that I actually don't have perfectionism. I'm like, cool. I don't have it. I, I'm good with being a shit show. <laughs> after reflection over the past couple of days, that does not seem to be true for me. So I think we should talk about our little flavors of it. And then will you give us a little bit of insight about what it does at work when workplaces shift into a perfectionism culture and what a perfectionism culture looks like? So there's about 60 questions in there and we have about 20 minutes. So <laughs> go for it. Well,
1: I think it's a really good topic. I was actually thrilled when I saw you toss it over the bow as a topic for this week, because it's such a pervasive dynamic. And I'm with you, May. Like, I didn't think of myself as a perfectionist. And some of our clients have heard me say this. And what really allowed me to embrace my own perfectionism was actually <laughs> when I read Dr. Brene Brown's book. I know I often am referencing Dr. Brown's work because I love it. But the way I actually got interested in her work was when I read her little book. It was an early book called The Gifts of Imperfection. And a friend of mine had recommended that I read it. And I was a little bit offended because I thought I'm not a perfectionist. Like, you know, why is she giving me this book? you know, I don't need this. But when I read it, it really resonated with me. It really resonated with me. And it it made me rethink what perfectionism is, because in my mind, perfectionism was like somebody who had certain characteristics or looked a certain way that I didn't think that I was. And, um, you know, someone who, for example, like, always had themselves looking and being really together. Somebody who was a type A personality, who was a very high achiever, high athlete, high academic, high, you know, those kinds of things in my mind, type A personalities were perfectionists. And I didn't think of myself as a type A personality, really. So I didn't think that I was a perfectionist. But what that book really helped me to understand is that perfectionism is not really that. Um, And in preparation for this podcast, I googled it as any good person would do to find the definition. And here's what I found for the definition. A perfectionist has excessively high personal standards and overly critical self-evaluations. They invest in perfection and accept nothing shy of flawlessness. This can manifest itself as criticism of self and others and in, in, in attempts to control situations and people. So excessively high personal standards and overly critical self-evaluation. I think that does describe most of us, you know, to a certain degree. Right. Yeah. But the but the but the part of this definition doesn't do for me. And what Dr. Brown's book, The Guess of Imperfection, did for me was to remind me of the what's underneath that drive for excessively high personal standards and overly critical self-evaluation, which is, as yeah. Dr. Brown says it, the lie that perfectionism offers us, which is that if we get it flawless, if we get it perfect, everything else will work out. So it's mm-hmm. the sort of the back half of this little google definition that i found which is around our need to control situations so it's the story it's perfectionism that goal of having excessively high standards is connected to a story we tell ourselves which is if i just get this right then dot 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 will happen i can control the outcome by getting this exactly right so i'm curious for you like as you think through oh maybe you are a perfectionist what will be an example of what you're seeing in yourself where you are telling yourself that story
0: yeah. Well, first, before that, I would like to just call Dr. Brown to the table here that she wrote a very slim book on imperfection. So I just want that to be known that the book is very small on the gifts of imperfection. She could have just fluffed it up a little bit to make it larger so that the gifts looked bigger. You know, the payoff doesn't seem that big. The Google definition is actually just the symptom. Is what it seems like. Right, exactly yeah. what you're saying. Like, yeah. you might notice the Google definition, but what the underlying roots of it are, are very similar. Right. Yeah, like, we all have a cough, but not the same cough. Right. Um, not for the same reasons. Yeah, I like to control things. <laughs> <laughs> can be known. Sam and Crosley. <laughs> yes, I'm here I am saying the thing. Yeah, I do like to control things. And I have gotten feedback from my therapist that I should care less, not be careless, but care less um, because I like to carry everyone's stuff for them. That's my most favorite thing, I think, actually. Not to worry about them, just to carry it for them. It's like <laughs> I don't trust them to carry their own stuff. And I do this in work sometimes. I think when I I like switch into kind of a micromanaging situation or like an Annoyingly curious voice that I'm sure does not sound very curious. I think that is just me like asking if you actually want to carry that bag or if, like, I should just add it to my baggage cart because my baggage cart seemingly always has space, <laughs> but it doesn't actually have space. I love to control how my house looks, I love to control how much food people experience at my house. I love to I'm an excess individual. I like people to feel like, "Wow, she had my favorite food when I show up." But here's a secret about that. There's no way to know what everyone's favorite food is and it won't fit in your refrigerator. So you have to get a lot of food. <laughs> this is the things I've run into. Like, I like to call it, carry everybody's worries as my job to fix, not to worry. So Does that make sense? But what,
1: yeah, but how, yeah, no, it makes total sense. And it sounds like a lot of load that you're carrying, but I'm curious about this piece of perfectionism that's underneath the surface, which for you, what is it that you're guaranteeing or what is it you're trying to ensure when you're carrying all the things, let's say, and controlling all the things for your, you know, your partner's or work? What, what does that, what does that help you feel in control of?
0: Oh yeah. Well, Sam and Crosley don't leave for sure they never leave Cosley never goes to college and Sam never leaves me and you never fire me <laughs> that's that's the thing i'm managing mm-hmm. but cuz if right. i carry all your bags then i become very important <laughs> to <laughs> you cuz i'm the baggage carrier <laughs> i mean, it all makes sense in my head you know well, there you have it now the motivation
1: of why may rats works for me so <laughs> So what? Well, what's what's interesting is that the story that you're telling yourself then, right, is that if you just dot 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 whatever, whether it's at home or at work, then everything will work out. Which for you, and, and I know you well enough to know that one of your personal life stories is you prevent the worst possible thing from happening, which is the loss,
0: dying, you know? everyone dies. dying.
1: Yeah. everyone dies, so there's a so underneath based on your lived experience, which includes the trauma of losing some loved ones, there's a prevent a preventative technique you can buy into, which is if I just blank, I won't lose anyone and of course, the reason, going back to what Dr. Brown says, the reason that's a lie, and this is the part that really struck me about about her book and how I've come to think of perfectionism is that there actually isn't any guarantee. You know, yeah. there isn't any guarantee. And you and I know, you know, this intellectually, right, as do I, like, I, I'm i pretty sure you know that, for example, when it comes to work, that it's possible that no matter how good you are, no matter yeah. how talented you are, that there is there could be something that happens in our business, that means that your job goes away, and it might have nothing to do with you. It could be that I change careers. It could be that we have an economic downturn. It could be that you decide that you want to become, you know, join Sam in the jewelry business. There's a, there's lots of things that could happen that would mean that your job would disappear that don't have anything to do with whether you've done your job well.
0: Yeah, totally. I mean, logically it makes total sense, right? And right. it's linked with choice. Like most of the things that could change the situation that I'm in have to do with choice and my own choice. And I think that's where perfectionism gets in my way is that when I rob myself of thinking that I have choice and mm-hmm. offer myself only one choice, which is you have to do this, otherwise everything falls to the ground. And I think also the other thing is like, who put us all in charge? Who do we think we are? Who do I think I am mm-hmm. that like if everything is perfect coming out of my like my world, that everything will actually be fine.
1: Yeah, well, I think it's about I don't know, I don't I'm not a psychologist so I don't fully understand where that goes, but I think it's around the I think what I see play out in the workplace certainly is that we can we sometimes can keep ourselves really busy, we can we can be very focused on flawlessness because not only do we tell ourselves that if we control things that way everything will work out, I do think also that society at large and workplaces often tell us that too. Mm -hmm. which is where we have like blame and shame cultures where we have the story that if I just, you know, that if this employee or this worker does things exactly right, then everything will work out. Okay. Which of course it doesn't, that's not how it works. And I'm curious, you know, there's, to me, one of the most glaring examples I heard unpacked one time about perfectionism and sort of like how it gets disrupted in the workplace was, do you remember a while back, a few years back, there was a, was it in Canada? Where was it? there was a mistake where somebody messed up and a, and a message went through that said that there was a nuclear attack on its way.
0: I mean that's like a pretty big yeah. mess up.
1: Pretty big mess up. Very big mess up and <laughs> it turned out to be wrong, but in the meantime people, I think it was people on an island. I don't I apologize I don't remember where, but they were, you know, waiting They were basically waiting to, I think it might've been in Hawaii. They were waiting for a nuclear attack to come. And that, you know, there was a few minutes that went where the sirens went off and everybody thought that this, you know, was the case. And then it turned out to be a mistake. It was a test that hadn't been stopped, you know, and somebody made a mistake. Right. And that kind of situation, like that was a terrible error. It was, it was a, it it had a consequence for a lot of people, but I often think about the person or the people who were Mm -hmm. part of that error. Mm-hmm. And how how horrible that must have been for them to do their jobs imperfectly. And yet, when I think about that story, I think to myself, you know, thank goodness they're testing these things. Because, <laughs> right? Because if in the event that there ever is a nuclear attack, we now know we have a warning system that yeah, works. Yeah, it works. Yeah. <laughs> exactly.
0: And Which once is, you it, it's very hard to get back. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
1: Which yeah. is what a test is supposed to do. You know? <laughs> But I think that we, we, in the world of work, particularly, but and in certain professions, perhaps even worse, um, we make up the story that everything from start to finish, every test has to be perfect. And it's just not, it's not what's real. You know, it's not, it's not what's real.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, what's your flavor of perfectionism?
1: Well, I I can definitely relate to what you were saying about perfectionism in parenting, you know, to prevent loss. I also think that I internalized a lot of messages as a young mom, especially that if I did things a certain way with my children and with my family, that somehow I'd be able to stay on top of the chaos, (laughs) you know, like, (laughs) that, or that I would be seen as a good mother or that my children would be okay. Like for me, I think it was a lot about if I do this well my children will be okay if I, if I parent well. And I think what I, the the way that that played out to be a a lie for me is that, you know, my children have had their own very normal human struggles. Um, I myself ended up divorcing from their dad, which caused them lots of pain. And, um, and so it was a, it was a realization that I, that actually I am definitely imperfect, but also that I couldn't protect them from the world at large, their own dynamics and issues. Um, And it was really hard. And I can remember one time early on, my kids were young. I think my oldest was a teenager and he entered a a triathlon and he was a good athlete, you know, but a good endurance athlete, but he, he came in second in his age range, but very good. But I was really convinced that he should have been first. Like. (laughs) In my mind, there was something that happened in, to the timing because it was a difference of like five seconds or something. And so I, in, I went to Mother Bear sort of orientation. Like he should have there. The, somebody clocked this out wrong. You know, he didn't. I don't know what story I told myself, but like that he should have won. And I remember saying or acting about something like that. And I remember my son like looking at me being like, "Mom, the point is not to win. <laughs> I'm proud of how I did." And I remember thinking, "What is? That? What am I? What story am I telling myself?" that the goalpost here was that he win the triathlon. Like I, that no, we never talked about that, you know? And so that, and that was one of the first times it really looked for me at what, what pressure we can inadvertently put on our children from our own perfectionistic tendencies. Um, so I think my flavor is also like you, it's a lot about control. So it doesn't show up as some of the ways that I might judge other perfectionists, you know, like I'm not always tidy, I'm not perfectly coiffed I'm not type A in terms of, you know, my, my physical appearance, those kinds of things. I don't think I look like a perfectionist, yeah. but I definitely have underneath the hood that drive of um, telling myself the story that I can, if I just did it this way, things would work out. And also of having a lot of self-recrimination, which I think most of us can relate to, even if we aren't really a particularly perfectionistic person, I think most of us can relate to like when we do mess up, we may over-index on what was perhaps unattainable. We self-blame. We don't bring a lot of self-compassion sometimes to that in the face of perfectionism.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I just want to like separate just a second that that it is okay to care about the outcome of things. Yes, yes. To want to do things well and to work hard and to care about our children and all of those things. What we're like very specifically talking about is the nuance of why we care about those things and when it like sits actually in our camp and not in the greater good of like we care about this thing, not like I care about this thing because this only has to do with me.
1: Well, and there's a huge difference between healthy striving, which is what you're talking about, and perfectionism. So um, going back to the example like of my son, healthy striving is him putting his best forward in a race and him feeling good about his outcome. And if he won, great. it came in second grade, whatever, that's different than the story that was happening inside of me, which is I'm a good mother. I'll be seen as a good mother if my son achieves the thing I think is the most important here, which is not, that's not the point and, and didn't, in, in him you know, winning that race didn't guarantee anybody's happiness you know if he had won it or not won it so i think it's that and um, it's the story we tell ourselves about it that is what gets us in trouble yeah with perfectionism yeah. isn't it
0: oh to- completely and i um i think that is what happened or what i have witnessed it in workplaces that when the story becomes we must be perfect instead of we are healthy striving and when harm is made we are going to repair when it doesn't exist, then I think you just get this chokehold on mm-hmm. place. You know, right. like it becomes a place where there's secrets. It becomes a place where people can't tell the truth at all. It becomes a place where mistakes are actually the worst thing that could possibly happen. Right. It makes feedback horrifying because mm-hmm. um, it's always going to be bad. There's right. hardly ever any great feedback in a perfectionist culture, right? Because you should just know what the goal is, which is perfect. But I think is that, I mean, that would be my question to you is in a perfectionist culture, family, organization, company, person, whatever, is that the goal of perfection is actually not very clear because my perfection is different than your perfection. And inside of an organization, if that is just the expectation that we are all going to be perfect, it actually doesn't set anyone up for success, even in just knowing what the goal is. Hey there.
1: Thank you so much for listening to Let's Make Work Human Stop the Suck, the podcast. I'm so appreciative that you're taking the time out of your day to listen to May and I and our guests talk about how we can restore humanity to work one magnificent people leader at a time. If you love the podcast, you might also really dig our newsletter. It comes out every week. It's called Show Up with Mo. And in it, I like to unpack lots of issues that are facing workers in every sector. And in particular, leaders and culture change leaders in organizations large and small. Go to www.mocaric.com and you should see an option to subscribe to show up with Mo. I would love to have you in my community there and I look forward to hearing from you. Thanks so much again for listening and for subscribing. Right. Yeah, I do. I do know what you mean and there's a lot there to unpack and so a couple of thoughts that I would have first mate. One is I want to be careful because we're not psychologists, right? I do I am aware that there are that perfectionism is a psychological classification for some people connected to a personality disorder that is often associated with anxiety. And I don't and I we're not talking about that here. We're not talking about a clinical diagnosis of perfectionism. We're talking more broadly about how perfectionism as a qualitative dynamic of how we show up with each other can drive behaviors that are not wholehearted, behaviors that are not helping us learn. And like you said, you use a really good word there, which was show-cold, mm-hmm. because perfectionism can drive us to paralysis, you know, where we don't do, we don't take risks because we're afraid that we will cause things to not work out well. And a, a parenting example for me that I thought you modeled beautifully recently, that if anyone watched your social media, they might have seen it, right, was the concert that you took Crosley to, right? Because you know, you have a two and a half year old and you, and you're working on sleep, sleep is always an issue for any parent of a toddler. And then you saw this concert, you and Sam wanted to go to the concert and you made a decision which was like, we're going to take a risk. We're going to go ahead. The concert doesn't start till 9 We're going to take a risk. we gonna take our toddler. And we know that this might be a shit show. <laughs> you know, this might really result in her not sleeping, her having a bad time. Then we have a bad time. We both have to work the next day. Like this becomes a crisis. Now you had a lot of options there, but one clear option was to do nothing, mm-hmm. was to say concert sounds fun. We love this band, but no, we're not going to step into that. Which might have yeah. been a more perfectionistic response, like, no, we probably has to be in bed by 8:30. We have to do it this way. Instead, you guys chose together. Let's go right mm-hmm. let's take this risk let's step into some something brave and do it now you didn't you didn't throw caution to the wind and stay out all night you know i think you said you left at halftime or you know whatever you were like yeah we're going to stretch but we're not going to go into the chaos right but we're go- but we're willing to for the sake of having some fun some magic some getting crossly dancing at this band that you love, you were willing to step into a little bit of messiness around things like routine and schedule for sleep because it was it was worth it and i think that's how we're living our lives when we don't let the chokehold of perfectionism stop us, which I I can imagine myself at a younger age, you can probably see yourself at a younger age as a parent being like, no, 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 cannot have fun in that way, because we have to have Crosley to bed by 830. With Mm -hmm. with the assumption being, yeah, and if we do that, everything will be fine. She'll go to sleep. We'll have a good night's sleep, which is, of course, with a toddler, (laughs) you never know. Are just lie there is just, exactly exactly so I think that's where that's what we're up against when we think about perfectionism as a qualitative difference is where does it chokehold us where yeah. does it stop us from being our fullest selves because we're not willing to take the risk and I think this is what happens in organizations a lot of times is that people are so afraid that they will misstep or that they will take a mistake they will make a mistake they'll cause a problem that they actually then become paralyzed from innovation. From creativity, from saying the hard thing, having a hard conversation, from giving or receiving feedback, um, or even practical things like leaving a job that they hate, applying for a job that's a stretch, you know, pursuing an advanced education, you know, if they're afraid they're going to fail out. Those are the kinds of things we then, when we're acting from our, in, our perfectionism tendencies, we don't actually go for it. Mm-hmm. We just stay quiet. We say small. We and we do perhaps say safe, mm-hmm. but we aren't actually living a life that is uh, is ours, you know, to live. Which means that we're staying really, really small. And in the workplace, I think w- the way that unfolds is that we're not taking risks, we're not innovating, we're not talking about hard things, we're not giving feedback, we're not applying for jobs that might stretch us because we want that guarantee. Perfectionism tells us. That we can guarantee a good outcome. So we stay small and we stay safe until we have that outcome and mm-hmm. until we can guarantee it. And so it's just sort of a perpetual cycle of under living, under stretching.
0: Under living. I love that. I'm going to write it down. And I also like, yeah, we might stay safe or we might not. Like that's also not promised. You know, well, that's like, the thing. Yeah. Under living. And you also might not. That just might. Not work.
1: No, because bad things happen, you know, yeah. um, and due to no fault of our own. I remember, I remember an example for me that came up in the workplace that was really connected, I think, to perfectionism. So when I was um, early in my career, I took a job. I left a job that I that I actually loved. It was in high tech because I had had my first son. And when he was seven months old, I realized that I couldn't keep up the pace of the way I was um, having to take him to daycare and the way I was trying to work. It was a corporate job. I had a lot of pressure to to work excessively long hours and I had to drive 40 minutes to take him to daycare. And I just decided I couldn't take it. My husband and I couldn't really, that wasn't how we want our life to be. So I left that job and I took another job, which was actually a halftime job in a healthcare system with a boss that I grew to really love. But about a year and a half into that job, which was about... My position as a consultant was to help that healthcare system come up with efficiency and effectiveness measures to save money and make the hospital more operational. We called it back then, you know, uh, re-engineering, patient-centered reengineering. And about a year and a half into the job, my boss, who was the vice president of Org effectiveness, said we need to re-engineer our own department. So we went through our own process. And the finding was that our department should be outsourced.
0: And for code for everyone that's not in the corporate world, that means they go away.
1: That means we go away. The whole department, including my boss, who had moved from California to take this job. And I, who had left a job that I, that was really well paying and, that, you know, felt like it was in my sweet spot for this job. And I was like, oh my gosh, like my worst thing happened. I left this job to choose kind of a better life for my family. And then now this job didn't work out, which was true. It didn't work out. Yeah, But, and, and you know there were a few moments there. I remember when my boss Bridget was telling us like, here's why this matters. And here's how we're working on talk where I w- remember feeling, gosh, I feel really grounded in your values and ouch, this courage is really hurting us because <laughs> now I'm out of a job. Yeah. You know, and but what ended up happening, which was really powerful to me is, you know, I came home from work and talked to my partner at that time, like, hey, here's this situation. And he and I were able to say, you know what, this might be our time to move. Maybe it's time that we move out of this area. What would that look like? What if we and now we're not in perfectionism, we're in ragged imperfection, like, whoa, whoa, that would change everything. What are you going to do? Are we going to sell our house, et cetera? But that's what happens when we're willing sometimes to really step into the mess and take the risk.
0: Do you think there's a moment? I mean, because I've had several of those moments that you're talking about. I love that story because it's like, if you want to stand close enough to your values, there might come a time where actually you aren't necessary in the system. Um, if you want the system to be the best that it can possibly be, you might need to go. And that is a scary thing. Cause I don't know that everybody thinks of that option. <laughs> they all think that maybe the other things will go, but I've been in a couple of those moments in my life where you're like on the precipice of a thing and you don't really know what that is you're like squinting at what the thing is but the you're like at the money slot or that like that money like game you know where you always see it like Walmart or something where it's like pushing the dollar bills towards the edge but like you know they it's like gonna get closer and closer to the edge and the coins are moving off like you're one of the little coins and it's like mm-hmm. the back's coming no matter what right. and you don't know happening in the front. And it's, it is kind of this ragged imperfection situation where everything becomes possible and just let yourself see that, which is very scary, yeah. <laughs> but very exhilarating and full of adrenaline, you know, cause it's like, we need to make a decision soon. And it, and what if it's this thing? And it reminds me very much inside of an organization of like, of the very beginning, you know, when you hear someone tell you about their new business, or you hear someone tell you about their their dream job that they don't know if it exists or not, or their startup, it feels very much like that. Like, oh, I just got this funding. Oh, we need to go do the thing right now. You know, like, oh, I don't have a deck. I don't even have any colors. Like, what does our logo even look like, right? It like pushes you towards the edges. And that when does it shift from that to perfectionism in terms of not being able to move out of the like, oh, should we do that? Cause that doesn't feel safe. When maybe there was always a moment in the lifespan of that organization that was like the precipice of something great and weird, you know, like how know. do you think everyone has felt that and then they have shifted into perfectionism or do you think some start as perfectionism cultures? I
1: don't know. I think our, I think it's a meta issue made for me. I think, I think the c- perfectionism that lives inside of us all as, you know, is our normal average or, or average occurring perfectionism, I think is, is curated by what we worship, for example, in media and movies. And I, I mean, it. yes, it shows up in work, but also shows up in, in day-to-day life. I'm thinking, for example, two areas of perfectionism that I've noticed like in just humanity. For women, let's talk about appearance, mm-hmm. right? The perfectionism that comes to us in a meta way that says we have to look a certain way with regard to our physical appearance usually it's thin it's with makeup it's with our hair tidy it's with you know that's a story that says if you just look that way right which is you know a standard of beauty that is very narrow then things will work out okay for you or Mm -hmm. i look at the message that men get around emotional expression if you don't express any emotion except anger you will be okay and so i think we have there's a meta message that says this is the way we should be and if you're outside of that you're imperfect and it's not okay so we carry that right into the workplace and Mm -hmm. i think that During startup or in certain phases of a workplace, we can't be perfectionistic like in startup. So we just we embrace the gifts of imperfection and perhaps we show up more authentically. But I think oftentimes, even then we don't do it. Right. Mm -hmm. Let's face it. I mean, most small businesses fail. So anyone who starts a small business is really being brave and, and being willing to step into the void. And at the same time, there's lots of things that can happen to a small business that can cause them to fail that don't have anything to do to what, with what that founder or that team did. Um, yeah. But also, I would say this, and the, you know, this is maybe the rub around perfectionism is that the stakes are high. You know, in any job, uh, there can be catastrophic consequences. Now, it's not always. Sometimes I sometimes hear clients say, "Hey, let's face it, the work we're doing is not brain surgery," which puts a lot of pressure, by the way, on neurosurgeons. Um, <laughs> you know. <laughs> But it's true, but there are also neurosurgeons who do do brain surgery, and the stakes are extremely high for them, and yet they are also human beings, yeah, who sometimes have things happen that are out of their control. And so I think that but we tend to we tend to expect it in those in those high stakes professions in in particular, like it must be perfect. And of course, we're we want those neurosurgeons to be striving we want them to get all the practice they need so that when they're working on our bodies they're they're able to have a high likelihood that it's going to all work out but we take the same construct and we apply it to every job and yeah. we say you know this if you don't file this paperwork right it's going to be catastrophic really is yeah. it and how do i as an employee get my head around the idea that yes i should strive to get it right and when i don't is when I'm going to learn the most. And to become more resilient in little errors so that I don't make big errors. Mm -hmm. You know, Mm -hmm. I think that's what we see in cultures where courage is encouraged and rewarded. Mm -hmm. It's not, we don't see cultures that have more mistakes happen. That's not the idea, like be brave and just let everything go to heck, Screw it. you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, right. Screw it. It's not that it's more like, no, we recognize that there are risks inherent in everything we do that matter. And so we just, we have to somehow find a way to show up anyway, even in that risk and do the absolute best that we can without stopping short of the chokehold, which is not that easy. It's not that easy to create a culture like that. Cause I think it's really easy to lull ourselves into believing we've got to get it hundred percent right in this culture all the time. And, and so I guess it's not, that's a long way of answering your question. I don't think it's that any, any business leaders make a conscious decision like, Oh, let's just make this culture perfectionistic. I think they just <laughs> find themselves there. And then it takes a conscious effort to say, wait a second, there's a different way we can be that yeah. might model our values in a more wholehearted way
0: or just even the question of how did we get here why are we why is it like this you know and is it because oh actually we run a brain surgery startup so it kind of needs to be at a 99 percent threshold you know or is it because we got scared of something or because you know we got some really tough feedback and the way that we reacted to that was this or you know we're worried about something and it's very real.
1: And and I'm thinking about, and this could be an interesting place to close too, because I feel like one of the, one of the places that's a wonderful example in our own business of how Perfect Syndrome has shown up and also how we try to combat it is typos.
0: <laughs> We're the best at right? them. We are perfect. I, <laughs> we are perfect. Yeah.
1: yeah. And I don't want to bring a sore spot because you, as our primary designer, end up often in the center of them, right? Of like me calling you up and saying, May, this social, this slide, this whatever has a typo on it. And I think what one of the things that you've actually really helped me with as the owner of the business and the developer of a lot of our content is like to get me grounded in, okay, and what is it that matters the most? You know? <laughs> is it the is it the idea that you shared or is it the fact that we spelt was
0: without an you know? (laughs) Just faster was. Yeah. Right. Well, and that might be a little deflecting on my part too, but it, I mean, it is a, it is an interesting thing because typos are something that we get a lot of feedback about. So I just want to clear it up that if there's typos, 90% of the time, it's me, just so everybody knows. And two, that there is a conversation that we have constantly about how high to index them inside of priority for us. It is a painful conversation you know, because there is stuff there about typos and what that reflects about you.
1: Well, right. They stag people, right? Like people are are trying to take in our content. Yeah, Like for me, the typo story is a really good example of the end bothness yeah. of perfectionism, which is like, yes, we need to strive. We would prefer not to have typos because yeah. we want people to not get snagged by the typo to read our content. And we are less concerned about typos then misquoting people failing to attribute work or to generate no content where people can't actually get value out of what we're saying and doing. And so it's a trade-off. And I think that's one of the points of perfectionism. is like when we're at our best and we're really being responsible and showing up bravely, we are managing the story we're telling ourselves that if we just get it right, everything will be okay. And we and we'd still do our best at the same time, but we don't fold when we realize that we forgot the a you know we're not like forget it we're never producing any more content because we had a typo
0: in that thing yeah totally and i yeah the larger conversation is around where the pressures of perfectionism come from in society but yes i agree totally and we're gonna strive for less typos that's the
1: Well, well we are and well we are and also It's not a big, it's not a big worry in terms of the work that we're in. And I guess what I would want when I think of myself as a boss, what I want is I want you to not have a chokehold as our designer, to not have a chokehold on designing things that are beautiful, that speak to our brand, that get our content in the world, because you're so afraid that you're going to have a typo in there. And so you produce nothing or you produce one thing every three months. And I'm like, may we're supposed to do 40 things in three months. And that that's, I don't want that. So we're, I think that's maybe a beautiful way to close on perfectionism. It's like when we manage it internally and we, and we stop telling ourselves the story that we can control the outcome. If we're just perfect enough, then we don't have to worry about being perfect enough. We can be enough, knowing yeah. it will be perfectly imperfect, which you know ties into our value that we are all messy, imperfect. Just going to work, going doing our to best. work, doing yeah. our best, and it's good enough. It's good enough.
0: Thank you, Mo. Thanks, May. Bye.